Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix. Or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters. Or grab Sky Broadband Ultra Fast for lightning fast speed. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. Save big in the Sky Half Price Sale. Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speed. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September. What levels of rebellion have you showed your parents? Have you gotten a haircut they disapproved of? Or maybe a tattoo. What if you really wanted them to feel you had the right to make your own decisions and want to display this at any cost? Would you go to full extremes to do it? It's the life of a cork man which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In the Cork village of Inchigila, in 1890, a child was born. His name was Michael O'Leary. He was the son of Irish nationalists, Daniel and Margaret O'Leary. At age 16, after an argument with his father over who should inherit the family farm, he rebelliously decided to join the British Royal Navy. He knew this would cut his parents deeply and highly embarrassed his father, who had been working towards liberating Ireland from British shackles. He trained well in the Navy, but when he qualified to go to sea, being Irish, he could only be trusted to work in the docks of Devon, monitoring the ships entering the Docklands. Issues with his knees led him to be dismissed from the Navy after three years, as he could no longer fully function as a soldier. Essentially, he could not stay standing for more than an hour without being in excruciating pain. His only option at this point was to return home as the prodigal son, seek forgiveness and hope for employment on the farm in any shape or form. Within a few months, he again fell out with his father, who did not believe his story about his knees, and believed the Navy to have just made him a lazy sod. This led him to hopping onto a boat and this time he enlisted with the Irish Guards in the British Army. The Irish Guards, often referred to as the Mix, are an Irish regiment in the British Army. 
They were formed in 1900 by the Famine Queen, Queen Victoria, and are the guards who today protect the royal family. The soldiers in the ranks were, and still are, recruited from the entire Irish island. The formation came after the Second Boer War, after Field Marshal Viscount Wolseley, a Dublin-born man, wanted to represent his own country as well as the British Empire. Being Anglo-Irish, he saw this as his right. As a mark of Irishness, each member of the Irish Guard's uniform has a shamrock stitched onto it. Michael spent three years in the Irish Guards before his knees caught up with him again and he was forced to leave. The marching he was required to do had become too much for them. As he sought some form of employment in England, given he could now not return to his home, he'd spotted an ad for a role in the Royal Northwest Mounted Police in Canada. Here, he would work as a horseback police officer and his knees would not be an issue. After a short time with this new police force, Constable O'Leary was commended for his bravery in capturing two criminals after a two-hour gun battle. A few months later, he received a letter asking him to rejoin the Irish Guards as they were off to Europe. World War I had started and they needed large numbers regardless of the soldiers' condition. Being lambs to the slaughter meant his knees would no longer be their biggest issue. In 1914, he was placed on the reserves list, only to be brought into the war in extreme circumstances, and he spent most of his time doing paperwork. Two months later, due to the mass killings which were occurring due to the new weapons brought to the battle, Michael was told to pack his bags and head to the front lines. Within a few days, he found himself bedded into a trench in Flanders, preparing to go over the top. Irish guards were seen as disposable by the British army and they were often used as distraction points for the British. Often, their role was to go over the top on one side, run to the Germans, take heavy fire and as the German guns faced their way, the remainder of the army would approach and make ground on the other side. Michael remarkably managed to survive the first few ventures over the top. During December 1914, he and the Irish Guards became one of the most active units in the war. Again, given their disposable nature, they were often the first to test the battle scene and expose the German trenches. This meant Michael did more than his fair share of fighting, but a constant fear drove him on. He did not have any great sense of duty or allegiance to anyone or any authority, he was just trying to survive. Due to his drive to keep going, he was promoted to Lance Corporal in January 1915. Fifteen days later, he was ordered to lead a group of Irishmen to take a new German position which they had won off the Allies. As he prepared his men, he heard a large shout to his left and as he looked to the top of the trench, he spotted a group of German soldiers who had snuck across no man's land and were standing with rifles pointed facing at Michael and his men. Michael shouted, boys scatter, and he and his men fled through the trenches to a form of safety. 
Their retreat meant that they had lost some of the vital strategic points which the Irish guards had spent months fighting for. Annoyed by the Irish retreat, the superior sent a group of Irish reserves to reclaim it. This was their first sight of war. 1,200 Irishmen, fresh to the battle, lined up and prepared to attack. Within 16 minutes, they had all been killed or wounded horrifically. Michael watched on from a distance and was horrified with what he saw. He turned to his superior officer and asked, what happens now? Lieutenant Ines, the superior officer, simply replied, now Michael, we go clean up that mess. They ordered their men to grab all and prepare as they charged the enemy lines. They met with the German machine guns and were butchered as each bullet separated the Irish limbs from the body and created piles and piles of screaming young men. Michael was charged with leading from the back. His role was to shout encouragement and to ensure nobody turned around. He was one of the last to come upon the piling mounds of men from Cork, Donegal, Tyrone, Limerick, Fermanagh and all of Ireland's proud counties as they cried like children for their mothers. Michael pulled his rifle to his eye line and hunkered on top of one of the mounds of bodies. In a single shot, he picked off one of the machine gunners. He reloaded and took a second and then a third. As he shot, the other soldiers climbed the piles and charged at the Germans. Michael had created a small gate of time to allow enough through so that they could progress. He eventually ran out of bullets and as he reached over the pile to search the pockets of the now dead, he witnessed blood splatters come up from his countrymen. A single machine gunner who did not care for his bravery began peppering Michael's position. He waited for a single moment when the gun would have to reload and as he waited he placed his bayonet on the end of his rifle. When he heard the gun in the distance wheeze as it emptied, he rolled over the top of the dead and took cover against the trench wall and moved slowly up against its edge. He reached a group of soldiers and told them to weave through the trenches as he was going to take the machine gunner. As they ran, Michael slipped up on top of the trench and ran towards the gun. He could feel his knees about to go and felt tremendous pain shudder up through his thighs with each frantic step. When his men reached their rendezvous point, Michael did not appear. They waited for some time until they saw him walking two Germans back through the trenches with his bayonet pointed at their backs. For his actions, he received the Victoria Cross. The following report was placed by the army superiors stating his bravery. For conspicuous bravery at Quincy on the 1st of February 1915. When forming one of the storming party which advanced against the enemy's barricades, he rushed to the front 
and himself killed five Germans who were holding the first barricade. After which, he attacked a second barricade, about 60 yards further on, which he captured, after killing three of the enemy and making prisoners of two more. Lance Corporal O'Leary thus practically captured the enemy's position by himself and prevented the attacking party from being fired upon. When asked why he was so determined to capture the gunner, he responded, He was such a bloody nuisance, I took a severe dislike to him. His acts of bravery and the Irishman's efforts had led to one of the biggest advances by the Allies in World War I, and it is considered one of the most significant movements in the war. Up until this point, machine guns had been total roadblocks. Michael was sent to London to receive his medal from King George V at Buckingham Palace. Thousands of Londoners came out in force to Hyde Park to see their war hero. The author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, said of Michael, No writer in fiction would dare to fasten such an achievement on any of his characters. But the Irish have always had a reputation of being wonderful fighters, and Lance Corporal Michael O'Leary is clearly one of them. The Irish barrister and nationalist Thomas Scanlon wrote, I heard earlier this week of the great achievements of the Irish Guards. All Ireland is proud of O'Leary. He fully deserves the high honour that has been conferred upon him. Ireland is grateful to him. Coming from a nationalist, this shows the high regard Michael, essentially a British soldier, had earned across the country. After his awards, he returned home and in the nearby town of McCroom, he was welcomed back to a hero's reception. This largely Republican area did not care for the politics of who Michael fought for. He was one of their own and they lauded him as their hero. Michael was incredibly touched by this given the harsh reaction his father had had to him join the British Army. When interviewed about his son's achievements, Michael's father simply responded, I am surprised he didn't do more. I often laid out 20 men myself with a stick coming from a groom fair and it is a bad trial of Mike that he could only kill eight and he having a rifle and a bayonet. Michael was then promoted to Lieutenant of the Connacht Rangers and had the unique honour of receiving awards too from the British armies for the role he played in the war. Despite his popularity in McCroom, the Republican stronghold and London, the capital of the British Empire. When Michael went to Belfast, he was booed and attacked by members of the Ulster Volunteers. How dare this Catholic be a war hero for their British army? The abuse he got was so bad, an inquiry was launched from the British House of Parliament, which heavily criticised the Ulster Scots' view of the Irish as a people. After his break at home, Michael went back to war and went with the Connacht Rangers to Greece to continue the fight. After spending some time fighting here, 
he went to the Balklands where he contracted malaria and his war ended. After the war, Michael found life tough. The things he had seen and lived through haunted him for the rest of his life. He returned to Canada in 1921 to rejoin his old force. He travelled around the Americas giving lectures on his time at war. In 1925, he was arrested for smuggling illegal Irish immigrants into the country and spent a week in prison until the charges were dropped due to a lack of evidence. Although part of his release terms were he had to return to Ireland with his now young family. He did not do so and instead lived in Ontario for a time. When his health declined in 1932, the British Legion arranged for his safe travel back to England and he worked as a concierge in the Mayfair Hotel in London. This highlighted him that society had forgotten about its war heroes and he was now just another Irishman in England. When the British Army began to mobilise once again at the start of World War II, Michael suited up and went back to join the army. He had missed the respect this had given him. He landed in France for the Battle of France and was sent home before the fighting began as his knees and recurrence of malaria ended his battles. He was no longer fit for active service and he was put in charge of a prisoner of war camp in southern England. In 1945 he was dismissed from the army for not being fit to work and became a building contractor. Two of Michael's sons also fought in World War II and both received the Distinguished Flying Cross for their efforts. In 1961, Michael's health issues finally caught up with him and he joined the Irish Guards gone to heaven. His funeral was attended by the Irish Guards past and present and all his medals and a photo are displayed in the regimental headquarters. There are no plaques, monuments or mentions of Michael's name today in McCroom or in Shigila. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to support us to create more, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash We The Irish. We The Irish is an Ireland Loves production. Ornus Anam Dum, Gurvmagud, Slaninish. It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab Sky Broadband Ultrafast for lightning fast speed. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. 
Save big in the Sky Half Price sale. Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speed. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September.